0: Hello and welcome to the Wittered Report Podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. Don't forget to check out ScalingNewHeights.com for information about our conference in June. And if you subscribe to this podcast, we will have a special registration offer just for you, coming up soon. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Well, hello, Heather. It's good to be with you again this week.
1: Yeah, hey, Joe. Excited about this conversation today.
0: Right, well, it's your conversation. You brought this topic to the table. I've been pumped about uh, hearing what you're going to say, and uh, I'll have my comments, I'm sure, but I don't want to take any time away from this. We're talking artificial intelligence today. Huge, huge uh, topic in the space, especially with what's going on with some of these interactive chatbots. But tell, tell us what's happening with artificial intelligence. Why was this an important topic for you to bring to our podcast this week?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, and I'm going to say six months, we've seen in the past six months in our industry, the accounting industry, we've seen a lot of chatter about chat GPT, which is, you know, transforming the way that people work. And it's interesting because, it, it, we're getting all this buzz about it, but it's actually not new at all. (laughs) So, you know, artificial intelligence is not a new topic. Um, I think for mainstream, it is very new. I think that we've seen it, uh, you know, evolving over the last 75 years. Uh, In 1950, Alan Turing introduced the concept of AI and started tinkering with it. And we've seen, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, progress in it since then. Uh, If you think about it, most of it was kind of behind the scenes, but in 2002, which was only 20 years ago, so we're saying 50 years, 52 years after Turing introduced it, we had the Roomba. Do you have a Roomba, Joe?
0: Yes, I do. Yeah, I have a Roomba
1: too. And the Roomba, so we saw that, we started to see the first commercial like to the public application of AI that we were able to understand that this is a real thing and here is technology that's actually making decisions and reacting to uh, stimulus around it. Uh, In the way that a human brain might, or the way we think, and and here's my theory, which I'm just going to throw out, is our human brain is a machine, right? So we have biological synapses and and blood vessels and all the things, but if you think about it, when we're building computers and we're working with artificial intelligence, we're just using man-made, you know, man-made. uh, components that were modeled after our own brain. And I think it's important for us to be thinking about that is that the goal of this was to mimic the human brain. And so it's really amazing um, that we've been able to actually do that in such a short period of time. So it's, it's, I always call it magic. I actually have a magic wand that I keep in my office. And I think that all of this stuff is magic and it's, it's super, super cool. So with AI, you know um, we are starting to see uh, on, on, you know, We're starting to see on the consumer level, meaning the people that are actually interacting with artificial intelligence in the accounting industry, um, quite a bit. We're starting to see new tools coming out for auditing that are able to look at large scopes of data and then create inferences. Through what it actually finds, but I think it's important for us to come back to the basics of artificial intelligence and honestly, what intelligence actually is composed of. And I actually found an article that was from uh, uh, that actually it was from the uh, an encyclopedia article that was talking about the different components of uh, of intelligence. And really, what it found was that we had you know learning right? So intelligence, you have to have the capacity to learn. And when we think about machines learning, we think about we're feeding them data. So the data that we're putting in, whether it's a formula or a group of numbers or the concept of numbers, those are facts and pieces of data that we're feeding to the machine to say, okay, here's your base that you're going to be able to use in order to make decisions and solve complex problems. We have reasoning, right? So reasoning is another component of intelligence and reasoning is really, and, and it's funny to say this, but understanding the you know how the data relates to other data and situations, um, problem solving, right? So problem solving, we have equations, but we also have given these circumstances, what is the best solution? or what are the best solutions? Um, perception, how do we perceive it based on the environment around us? So how, do we, how are we actually perceiving the data? How does it affect us based on all the things that are happening within our own lives, our own environment? Um, and then using language, being able to express it. So being able to express what we've learned and that's how we're communicating with each other. So when we look at those components, which we think of, you know, as people, those are the things that we we gauge people's intelligence by. Now we're able to look at it as a computer and go, oh, OK, I get it. When they're talking about artificial intelligence, they're talking about how can a machine take data that we give it right, compare it to other data that it has within its database uh, actually learn from it and create new ideas. Well, I don't even want to say ideas, but maybe they are, because this is where you cross the line. Right. Um, But you create new data from that existing data, right. Solve problems, uh, have reasoning and then communicate it back to us in a way that we can understand and that humanity can understand. Right. Because a really successful artificial intelligence is going to create, um, you know, data and, and, um, information that is readily understood by humans, because we really created it to work for us, not against us. And that's where, you know, we could talk about the ethics and everything else. So we had Roomba that was introduced in 20, uh, 2002. Siri was introduced in 2011. And that was something that when we first came out, I was like, what? And and it wasn't very good, right, Joe? I, I mean, it's still sometimes, you know, we've got that whole, that whole uh, you know, I would say that I have never had Siri, when I do the speech to text, ever get it right. And there's also times where I've asked her something, it was completely wrong. So, um, you know, so it's still getting there. We had Watson, which was IBM's, you know, version of AI in 2011. Um, And then we had Alexa in 2014, which came out from Amazon. And I would say if we were to put Siri and Amazon and Alexa up against each other, I'm pretty sure that Alexa would win. I'm pretty sure that Amazon has done a better, you know, I don't have any data behind that, Joe, but just from my experience, having used both of them, I'm on team Alexa. Uh, and then we have new ones that are being introduced all the time. Now, the exciting thing about chat GPT is that it's allowing folks like you and me, people, just regular people to go in and actually interact with AI kind of in a raw form. And it's, it's miraculous. It really is. And Joe, I actually went through yesterday, I was um, working with Patricia, who's you know the director of our, our educational programs here at Woodard, and we actually asked ChatGPT to write a bio for you. And I'm going to do it again in my ChatGPT, um, and I'm going to read it to you because it was incredibly accurate. So what are you um,
0: actually typing in so that the listeners know exactly what the question is so that they'll understand the power of the answer?
1: Okay, so I'm writing uh, I'm writing six words. Write a bio for Joe Woodard. That's it. That's all I'm writing.
0: That's it. Okay. And how does it even know which Joe Woodard? You're not even telling it that?
1: I'm not telling it anything. This is just okay, this Okay, write a bio but for I Joe would...
0: Woodard. Because there are other Joe Woodards out there, right? There I are. I mean, I'm not the only one. All right, so. You're so not be the only
1: one. You're not the only one. And it's it's working. And if you guys could see this, it's actually writing in it. It looks like somebody sitting behind a computer typing out the answer to me, which is the developers created that to make it feel more like I was dealing with a person. It could absolutely, when I type that in, just make the answer appear. But they're doing that because they want us to feel like we're interacting with it, which is really cool. All right. Are you ready, Joe? I'm ready. All right. It's not quite done. It It wrote... Ooh, I wrote five paragraphs about
0: you. Okay, we won't read all five Uh, paragraphs.
1: Right, no, we won't read the five paragraphs. So it said, Joe Woodard is a well-known accounting technology consultant, thought leader, and speaker. With over 25 years of experience in the accounting industry, he has become a respected authority on accounting technology and business transformation. Uh, Joe is the CEO of Woodard Events, a company that organizes accounting conferences and provides training for accounting professionals. He is also the host of the popular Scaling New Heights conference, which attracts thousands of accounting professionals from around the world each year. So it goes on and it talks about some of the things that you have done in your career, but it also says that you wrote a book on accounting technology called The Radical CPA.
0: Which I did not.
1: You did not. Jody Paydar actually is The Radical CPA and she actually wrote that book. So So it also said- So
0: so AI, AI is not perfect.
1: It is not perfect. It also yes. said that you wrote a book calling "Scaling New Heights: Secrets of a Successful Event,"
0: which so is not also, Yes,
1: right, right. Which is also not true. Yeah. Right. So the point here is, is that there is a little bit of what I would say creativity going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Because it got some of the it got some of the facts perfect, right? But some of it, it's starting to grab information and and kind of infer, which is where we're coming to the intelligence. You know which uh which are, are are incorrect now the cool thing about chat gpt is as i'm putting this information into chat gpt i can actually tell it where it went wrong mm. and so yesterday this is different from the one that i put in yesterday and it actually said that you had um you it, it said that you had written other books that were not written by you and i i actually told it no joe didn't write those books so that mm-hmm. was incorrect. So now it's picked two other possible books that you could have written. You know, and one is a real book, but it was written by somebody else. Right. And the other is just a made up book that it thought could be, you know, could could be true. So interesting but, but that's uh,
0: paragraph was was super impressive. Right. I yes. mean, it went out and and what was interesting too is I don't know if it was because it knew you were the one asking the question and it knew that you worked at Woodard. But somehow it narrowed down the universe because, you know, when you're doing SEO and when you are the face of the brand, my team regularly searches Joe Woodard in order to not just see what comes up, but to control what comes up. That's their job. Right. So I know all the other Joe Woodards out there because I encounter them right including the you know some theologian out of canada that got into a car wreck and died and and so he blew up seo for about you know that whole story blew up seo a few years back. i know all the main joe woodards out there and and what net what didn't happen is the bot did not write a biography of the canadian theologian the catholic theologian in canada somehow it knew to to avoid that joe that i would love to know how it deduced that right
1: well, what's interesting about ChatGPT is it's not searching the internet. In fact, the information that that, that OpenAI, which is the company that created ChatGPT, they've only fed in data up through 2021. So anything that happened in 2022, it has absolutely no idea what's going on. Mm, and so yesterday when I said, uh, write a bio for Heather Satterly... It didn't know who I was. And it said, could you tell us more about Heather Satterly? And so I said, Heather Satterly is a CPA. And then it wrote a bio. It was able to find me and find information about me and write a bio about me. So I I am not as famous as you, Joe. <laughs> uh, no, if it, it needed a little bit of clarification but at least you just it haven't eventually. worked on
0: your your name as your SEO for the last <laughs> 10 years yeah something but, but I know what you're saying it, it, but you said it's not going to the internet but it kind of is right I mean because it is going to all data sources where Heather satellite may be mentioned correct
1: it, it is that we're fed into the data set for chat GPT so oh, okay it's, Now it's I see. not learning it's it is continually learning now as people are using chat gp and we're adding data to this but it's and not
0: ingesting app- worldwide web data no. it's not okay no it's only
1: taking so i had fed in when i was playing with it and and this is where accountants have actually played with it um, jason stats has a great youtube video where he actually tried to train chat GPT to be a staff accountant by giving mm. it information. And I have added, I've actually given it tax code and asked it to write articles based on the tax code that I have fed into it. And it's done in a remarkable job. Yes. So that tax code that I fed to it, everyone now has access to that. Because, because it suggested the data you gave it, I see. Exactly. And
0: that's probably somewhere in the user okay. license that if you provide the data source or something, somehow the programmers have access to be able to use it or something. Uh, I'm sure they're, they're threading all those needles, but what I can tell you, if I could, if I could make a connection point, because all that was yeah. fascinating, and I just enjoyed sitting back and sipping my water and listening. But uh, if everybody remembers, back in 2018, the theme of scaling new heights was "tame the machines," and and so. Back in 2018, we were projecting out this imminent future where AI was already present and working. As a matter of fact, the, the pro, the, some of the Watson team, because the Watson team is based out of Atlanta, there's a big Watson IBM building in Atlanta. They came over and they actually brought a Watson-driven uh, interactive conversational device with them. It was a children's toy and we had a conversation with it on the main stage. So this, was the, this is something that we were... We were telling accountants hey watch for this it's imminent it's coming it's going to change your life we also had daniel suskind come and if you've not read his book the future of the professions you need to read the future of the professions he's updated it with a couple of revisions as technology has evolved so even if you read it before read it again and the impact that's going to have on legal healthcare, accounting um, but the, 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 simplest, the simplest way I can pro- cut, draw this all through to you is there are two responses to everything you're seeing and all the account account artificial intelligence buzzwords, you can keep peeling it back for fun and talk about how it works and dissecting it. Cause it's an amazing piece of tech, but how it impacts your practice comes down to two things, leverage it now to create extreme efficiencies in your business. Do not keystroke anything the bots could be doing for you. Bots are cheaper than people, even people if you're offshoring. Um, And second, uh, transcend the machines. It's the same message we gave back in 2018. Leverage them now, transcend them as soon as possible, because eventually they're going to become so good and so smart that you will not be leveraging them. They will be displacing the service work you're currently doing. And I'm going to leave to Daniel Susskind to give you all the data that drives that. That's a that's a, a researched conclusion where I'm borrowing his research from the book, Future of the Professions. It will displace you. And so what you must embrace, folks listening to this podcast, you must embrace those things the machines can never do. And you must embrace those things the machines ought never do. And a couple of examples of that would be anything that's relationship work like business coaching where you're moving people through emotional barriers that machines will never understand, the psychology of people management and team development, which a a bot cannot comprehend, all of those complexities of the human relationship that you can step into to transform businesses, um, you will stay ahead of the machine. So embrace advisory, not analytics because they'll beat you there, but business coaching using the analytics the, the bots provide. Now, I'm going to give you an example of what the machines ought not do. I don't think a machine ought to make a judgment call on a gap impact or a gap fi- uh, uh, adjustment that has a, a material financial impact that affects third parties, banks, lenders, um, other, other lenders, uh, investors. I, I think that's a human judgment call, uh, because mach- artificial intelligence does not play well in the realm of the subjective so um do what they ought not do do what they cannot do long term and in the short term leverage them to great effectiveness
1: i agree with that 100 percent, and i think you know joe one of the things that is a big concern for us is that this ai can mimic things like empathy and um you know and and sympathy. and the darker and, parts
0: of the human nature like racism uh, I saw some studies That's where amazing. if you if you give the bots the false information that breeds racism, it becomes intelligent but ignorant. and mm-hmm. which is the which is the formula for racism, is intelligence with ignorance. And, um, and you know, and then it, then it breeds bias within its own brain and it actually draws racist conclusions. So it is, yeah, it can make it can mimic emotion. It can actually be led to wrong pathways, and then yeah. you get into the whole ethics piece. But don't we can't ever confuse its mimicking of emotion, right, with the actual human condition.
1: That's right? exactly right. And and that's where you were, were going to go. Yeah, no, that's exactly where I was going to go. And you know, the other thing that I would just mention is, it can do more than just write things. Um, write in you know in, in in human language. It can also write code. So one of the things that I have found incredibly helpful is I can ask it to write a piece of code for me um, to solve a problem that I need, um, which is really cool um, and and helpful when you're when you're learning. There's other ethical issues that you know we could spend an hour talking about. Joan, we don't have an hour, you know, about you know what does this do to the learning of of young people, mm-hmm. right? So they don't have this tool that can write a paper for them, which defeats the purpose of them learning how to write a paper. Um, do they even need to write a paper? So these are all things that I think we need. You know, the conversations are in the happening. age
0: of computers. Do we need to understand math? I mean, the age of calculators. Right. Do we need to understand right. addition? Um, you know, and 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 is that going to create an evolution of the human condition or a deevolution of the human condition? Right. right? So that you're right. This could there could be a whole yeah. Yeah. podcast, not just an episode, but a podcast. That focuses on artificial intelligence and the impact on business and humanity but you have done a great job heather um, teeing up this very important topic Um, and if you'll go to water.com podcast for our listing guide for today's episode heather's got some great links including an article from accounting today um that you can enjoy so let's move to our tv segment um and i've got one that i'm going to lead out with now if you're new to the uh podcast Every single podcast episode, we we extract something we've watched on TV or movies because Heather and I love TV and movies that has a business implication or application. And mine comes from the movie The Matrix. Uh, love that movie. Um, it's philosophical. It's it's uh, it's got science elements. It's the whole package, right? If you've never seen it, uh, well, in in the the Matrix, the protagonist, the hero of the story, right. And he's obviously the hero of the, the prophecy that's central to the story. You kind of realize that from the very beginning. He's just told by a definitive source, without getting into all of the characters involved, a definitive source has just told him, you're actually not the protagonist. Right in the middle of the movie, our protagonist that we've invested in has been told by a definitive source, another character that we know, that we trust as, as viewers. No, you're not actually the hero. Big twist, Right. So, but the crazy thing is, spoiler alert, he is the hero, and and that's the paradox. Nonetheless, he is the hero, because what the definitive source says is, Neo, sooner or later, you're going to realize, just as I did, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. So what she was saying is, you're not the hero because you're not acting upon what you're supposed to be doing. You know it. You're called to it. It's your destiny, even, perhaps, if we want to say it in, in, in narrative terms. But but the only thing that connects our aptitude, our potential, and our opportunity into heroism is action. And the inoculator for inaction not to put too fine a point on it is to do something right But the inoculator for inaction is and the reason we don't do is fear and and it, there was a fear holding the character back that he had to overcome and once he did, he began to to uh, to manifest things and transcend whatever he was even potential uh, potential of, of of achieving. So all this comes back now for the business principle uh, to Stephen uh, R covey's, Seven Habits, where Stephen Covey says, in the first habit, you become the creator. And the first habit, if we remember, is be proactive, right? So if you are proactive, you are the creator of your reality. And that is one of the the, the threefold steps to becoming independent, happy, healthy, and whole. And then as you guys know, because you've read Seven Habits probably, uh, that that's that that's the foundation of interdependence. So you take two independent people and they can become interdependent and more than some of their parts. So so if if you've not read that book recently, reread it and and then think, uh, maybe even watch The Matrix and then read it and look at that connection between Neo's journey toward being the hero and your journey toward being independent, happy, healthy, and whole per Covey. And then if you can achieve that, you're going to find new realms in your, in your business. All right, Heather, what what have you been, have you been watching and what's the business application?
1: Well, first of all, you just completely blew my mind on the matrix and I'm going to have to go watch it again. Um, <laughs> because now that you brought up that, now I'm starting to think like the red pill and the blue pill. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all the symbolic, and I'm sure there's like, you know, people that have talked about all of that, but that's new to me. So now I'm going to have to go watch it again. So thank you for that. So yeah, so I actually, I have an interesting one that I just felt like, Made me think, and made me think about how we as humans, um, and and in our society, how we're kind of evolving, and, and 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 how we can own our our own stuff, right? So I was watching Wheel of Fortune. Yes, I'm at the age where I, occasionally you're
0: outing yourself, Heather.
1: At least once a week.
0: <laughs> or, are you sitting uh, around under Fortune. an afghan holding a cat while you do it?
1: Or? <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I I sometimes will have a cat and a dog, but my husband and I sometimes watch it. So we were watching wheel of fortune and it's teen week. So it's kids. It's these kids that come on and um, they had eight eighth graders on, on, on this episode. And the winner of this episode was a, an eighth grade kid and he was from India and Jack uh, Pat Sajak congratulated him when he won. And he said, he grew, congratulated him by saying you were the first Uh, Indian winner on Wheel of Fortune and you're the biggest Indian winner on Wheel of Fortune. And, you know, I was watching it and I'm like, that just doesn't feel quite right. And the kid actually looked at him with that look where, you know, kind of like bent his head and looked at him like, did you really just say that on national television? And, you know, it was, it was a kind of a stunning moment and the kid was confused. And I think that where my takeaway from that was, you know, First thing to do is to to demonize Pat Sajak for for saying something like that that was insensitive and, and could be perceived as as racist on national television. And and then, you know, walking it back a, a bit, you know, Pat Sajak is is probably in his definitely in his 60s, probably in his 70s. Uh, I think
0: closer to uh, 80s, probably, yeah. But yeah. But maybe,
1: maybe close to 80, yeah. Um, and so I think it comes back to that conversation of, you know, when we're walking through life, I'm I'm 53. Um, we have the way the world was when we were young and we were developing our own internal biases was a very different place. And I think that we have to own our stuff. We have to approach these things both with, it's not, you know, it's not okay. And we have to continuously learn, um, and, and, and try to adapt to what the way things should be, which is where we're headed but we also need to be gentle with ourselves and others who are walking that path themselves and are, are, are trying to do their best. And we do have an obligation to own that responsibility for ourselves and own the responsibility for guiding people towards what is right, but yes, doing absolutely. it in a way that is, is, is gentle and positive and in a way that going help them embrace, you know, the change themselves. And I think, so that was, you know, Something that that kind of came to mind, I felt like it was a really important conversation for us to continue to have, especially on things like podcasts and out in the open, because that's the only way we're going to continue to drive that type of change in our some society. Some of
0: our listeners might be saying, I don't understand what's racist about that. He was celebrating the fact that, um, you know, somebody from India had great success on the show. It is a very fine line, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and and you want to celebrate people of culture, and you want to celebrate minorities uh, whenever they excel because they become, you know, inspiration for, for people that might be in, in, in people groups that don't have as much equity or opportunity. So, but you want to do that without um, minimizing their accomplishments as a human being and tokenizing them. And I, I think that's really what it comes down to is exactly. is when representation, inclusion, and belonging become tokenism, then we've gone backward. And, um, and, and unfortunately, and I have to walk this line all the time. And Heather, you're producing our main stage and our breakouts, right? We have this conversation all the time. You know, um, how do we, how do we manage the tension? It's a healthy tension. I mean, that term in the sense of healthy tension, how do we manage the tension between wanting to be representative with our instructors and presenters, um, while not inviting somebody just because of the pigmentation of their skin? And so, um, and I say it that way, not to to demean race, but to make a point, I mean, hyperbolic. Right. So it's, it's a tension we have to manage to avoid tokenism ourselves. Um, and I would encourage everybody to say, to, to embrace the tension, to manage the tension and to understand as Heather pointed out, the tension is messy. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then, uh, the, probably the biggest takeaway that I love from Heather's thing is, is, Grace must rule the day because we're going to fumble our way through this. There are things we don't understand. Uh, I think most, most listeners of the podcast know that I'm raising a black daughter in a white culture, trying to not make it a solely white culture, trying to, you know, uh, to make sure that she feels like this is a blended family, not that she's the black person in a white family. And so I, we deal with this all day long, every day at the kitchen table. And, um, and it, There is no clean and clear answer, um, but the point you made, and it's a great point, is um, embrace it. Get in that messy middle and, um, and live there as a business owner. I, I hope I'm not presuming upon your point. Is that about right?
1: No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I think that it's, these conversations are important. And, and I think, you know, my, my biggest takeaway and, you know, and, and honestly, if I've worked through this myself is, is being vocal about it and taking responsibility. Um, and I think that's really where it lands is you have to take responsibility for your actions, recognize it, um, have an open, you know, an open mind and open heart. Um, and, and, and we can drive, you know, continue.
0: Vulnerability, You know, I was on a, I was on a call yesterday, um, where a meeting yesterday that was teaching a session and the session had probably at 80% female owned practices, about 20% male owned practices. And I was leading them through a pricing coaching course. And, and I, I found myself, you know, gravitating toward this example of one of the ways you can, you can change lives, not just businesses is if the, and I kept saying it this way, if in a mom and pop, the wife doesn't prefer to work and wants to be at home and you can maybe build some systems or whatever that allows the wife to go uh, the wife to, you know, and over and, over, and I was like, and, and it, I meant nothing by it, nothing at all. But it occurred to me, especially as I was reading body language on the webcams, oh my gosh, I am being sexist. Right. And I'm not going to mince words about it. That's to your whole point is I'm, 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 I'm giving you an example of what you just asked everybody to do, be transparent and own it because it doesn't make me a sexist person. Right. What I'm saying is in that moment, I fell into accidental sexism. And, I, and I, that's what I'm owning. And so on the call, I owned it. And I said, I owe an apology to everybody in this room, not just the women. Everybody in this room, I fell into a sexist example. So, uh, so let's say regardless of who it is, the spouse, because what if it's two women or two men, right? The spouse, if they don't want to work for the company, has the freedom to, to not work for the company could be one of the impacts that you make. And and you could see the entire room um, go into a, a sense of appreciation for the vulnerability and the honesty of that. But if I'd tiptoed around it or ignored it, well, I might have been a Pat Say Jack.
1: Right. And I think that's where it comes back to being authentic. Yeah, for sure.
0: Right.
1: Awesome. So, so I think our next thing, you were going to share a book segment with us. So. Absolutely.
0: So I've got the book segment for this week. And I just finished reading The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and of course, you know, we we do a lot of marketing here. I kind of joke with people sometimes that we're a marketing company that does coaching and I, it's tongue in cheek, right? I mean, I don't want to make people think that coaching is not our most important thing, but we have to tell the world, hey, we have this amazing coaching program. So I read a lot of books on marketing and I read a lot of books on what it takes to to create exactly what he's talking about. The tipping point where we go from 300 people, 300 firms were coaching to a thousand firms were coaching and 3000 firms were coaching. Um, what's the tipping point that will make that happen? And this book is phenomenal. I recommend it to anybody um, who has any kind of a company, whether you're a big marketing company or not, because he talks in there about how to create connection points and to leverage networking relationships to, to, to grow your business. And in this case, our listeners, your practice. So it applies to everybody. But what he does is he delineates between the connectors of life. And he says, those are people types. They're not roles. Um, people are natural connectors. And he used Paul Revere as an example. When Paul Revere rode, he had he was a connector human being. And so he knew who to talk to in every town. Everybody listened to him because he was a person of, of great to regard within the business world. But there was another rider who rode a route That we've never heard of before he gave the name and i still can't remember it because that person was not a natural connector did not know who to talk to in the towns and was not respected and therefore the same shouts to the same number of people had a a significantly different impact um so then the mavens are the next people you need to find so find the connectors that will lead you to the people who will lead you to the people who will lead you to the people that will grow your practice and those people exist in Vistage groups. They exist in what are local chapters. They, you know, mm-hmm. do that local networking play, but they also exist in Facebook groups, right? And if you wanna do the virtual play. Now, and, the, and there are tons of them at Scaly New Heights. Come there, find connectors. But then there are mavens. And mavens are the people that believe so much in your value proposition that they talk about you in the positive all the time without any prodding from you. They don't need a referral commission. They're just true believers. And, and when these mavens get to talking um, the brand ambassadors, I've also heard them called, um, but brand ambassadors are a loaded term. Cause sometimes big corporations will put money into brand ambassadorship, creating um, mercenary mavens, right? Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about authentic organic mavens. Um, and then you've got salespeople, right? And the salespeople are the ones that will actually bring you business outside your organization. Like they'll say here, here, here's a person with a credit card in their hand. Um, they exist in this world. The connectors, the mavens, and the salespeople create the the trivecta of practice growth, organic practice growth. And folks, you cannot you cannot play in this tipping point world unless you are a social creature. Um, so if you're naturally introverted and you don't want to play in social realms, it's going to be tough for you. But find those vintage groups, find those local water chapters, go to the conferences. And, and don't be a wallflower when you get there. You know, walk up to strangers, interact. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your practice? What brought you to this conference? Start conversations. And as you're doing it, find connectors, find mavens, and generate salespeople. So Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. All right. Now, yep. in the next segment, we talk about social posts. And in the social post, I think, Heather, got you've got one teed up. And it's relative to your topic.
1: It is actually it is. It's from the Alan Turing Institute and it you know as I was kind of going through and and I'm following all these things on AI. What they tweeted was imagine you applied for your dream do- job but didn't get an interview. Now you've discovered that the company uses AI to process its applications. Would you feel mistrustful of the technology? Mm. And so it's going back to the ethics question, right, of you know, And I've done this in the past where I've built automations. People that know me know I like to automate pretty much everything I can. And if you know that there's certain things that you're looking for, and this is, again, going back to how AI works, right, that there's certain qualities and words that people use to describe themselves that might fit into a role that you're hiring for, and you actually train machine learning to say, look for these words and only highlight the resumes that have these words in them, or they're structured, or they don't have spelling errors, or whatever they are, um, then people that could be incredible candidates would be overlooked if you're only if you're only depending on the technology. And it comes back to that human experience and making those decisions. That that's not always the best, and it's not the way it should be. It's so, actually
0: just the opposite of what we talked about in the tipping point. Um, where the, you know, the, the complexities of the human social network are driving the, the decisions around customer acquisition. Well, the same thing could be the case with, um, with hiring people, right? And I couldn't yes. agree with you more. This may fall squarely in the realm of what the machines ought not do.
1: A hundred percent. And if you think about all of the sci-fi movies that you have ever seen that involve some kind of the machines taking over, this was the problem was that we put in, these are the things you need to look at and everything else is bad. And then we all end up getting, you know, hunted down by Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, you know, (laughs) uh, so, yeah, so we, you know, I think that it's, it's definitely something that's really, really fascinating, really cool, but something that we, we all need to be talking about and, 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 you know, making sure that our voices are heard and that we have, that we actually have uh, an opinion on it and that we're sharing that opinion.
0: Yep, I love it. I love it. And then the last thing I'm going to say, since we came back to AI, and I forgot to say it up above, is um, uh, Clark's three laws uh, is a fascinating exercise, and it's 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 uh, from the 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 book I Robot, you know, which became a Will Smith movie. So if you've never watched that one, read it or watch it, only for the way that the 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 seemingly impervious three laws that protect human beings from the robots uh, were not so impervious. And i'm not going to spoil that one i'm going to let you read the book all right and, and but but it is the ultimate cautionary tale In once it becomes aware and once it becomes uh, however you define aware and once it becomes truly intelligent and and, and once it begins to reason there that we have a a species we're coexisting with would be clark's position and there's nothing we can do to program our way around that um okay so now, I'm going to take a complete twist and turn, nothing to do with artificial intelligence. And uh, my favorite tweet of this this week comes from Ron Baker. Uh, somebody asked him, you know, now that that AMC is charging different prices for different movies, uh, what does Ron think about that? Because, you know, he's the king of value pricing. Right. So in a response to a tweet about the new subscription pricing for AMC theaters, and that's all, another thing Ron's big about his book, Time's Up, mm-hmm. um, he said, I don't think pricing can overcome an increasingly irrelevant business model. Theaters are essentially glorified popcorn vendors. Also, Hollywood is turning out movies that are, let's say, on average, less compelling than what we get through the streaming services. So this this gets back to the Cobb value curve. In order to create, and if you if you want to just Google Cobb value curve, images will come up everywhere so you can see what I'm talking about as you listen. Don't do it if you're driving. So uh, on the X axis, you move to the left because you're unique and differentiated. On the Y axis, you move up in value, uh, the, the vertical one, you move up in value as you have high relative value added. So just because AMC is offering a subscription model for its movies which is unique to on-premises movies, let's give it a really good score on the x-axis. It's unique and differentiated as compared to its competitors. However, Ron's point was the y-axis is really killing the movie industry. The hot, the the relative value added for that model is not significant enough to drive the prices. So um so my my point to you is this is a warning for bookkeepers and tax preparers. Price corrections will only get you so far down the road. You have to change the paradigm of value. You have to not be your typical movie theater. You've got to do something is both different and very high, highly valued um, and relative value. Meaning you've got to, you've got to address the client's immediate pain points while dealing proactively in a relationship from that point forward. So to tie it all up in a bow, a a good example of what AMC is doing. They, they have movie theaters. There's some here in Atlanta. I actually stumbled into one accidentally. So it was quite a treat where the seat moves around and interacts with the movie. If you're in a helicopter, it vibrates. And if you're in a car, it jars you around and um, and it sprays water in your face and a little bit of like what you might get at an amusement park. Um, I would, I would go to an on-premises movie and I'd pay 40, 50 bucks to watch a movie in an environment like that. Right? So, that's high on the relative value added as well as being unique and differentiated. I can't get that at home. So you have to ask right. bookkeepers and accountants, what are you doing that less than 10% of your peers are doing? And how does it, here's the pun, rock your client's world? Cause I got rocked around. It. Okay. So it's silly pun. All right. All right. The, we'd like to wrap up since this is the Woodard report podcast. We like to wrap up with um, your favorite article, You're the editor of this uh, Wonder Report. What was your favorite article this week?
1: So this week we had a great article. It's actually the second in a series on uh, hiring, finding the perfect hire with personality assessments. So I am a huge, and I know you, Joe, you are as well, a huge uh, proponent of using personality assessments and skill assessments um, when you're hiring staff because that's really the only way that you know what the person's capabilities are and their technical skill level is. So um, again, I'm just also going to throw out there, there's a human element to that. So don't just go by the data, but I really love that. And that was actually uh, written by Giles Pearson and uh, he works for account tests, which is um, a company that actually creates these types of tests specifically for accountants and bookkeepers. And so it was really, really helpful. And I, I, I think that that's something that even small firms are able to do. There's lots of free tests out there that you can leverage in your firm to help you understand, you know, does the candidate, uh, <clears throat> do they fit your culture? That's a big one. I think mm-hmm. that's probably, Joe, the biggest one is mm-hmm. is the person that you're bringing onto your team, are they going to, do they embody the culture of your firm? Because as we all know, if you bring somebody in that does not align with your core values, vision, mission, purpose, um, you know, one, one Slightly rotten apple can 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 cause some problems for the rest of the team, so um, I think that that's really important and and it was really great information. So love yep. that.
0: And and we cover this in our management advisory course inside of the water program as well. And our conclusion inside of that course to give everybody just a little bit of a freebie is if you are hiring for a bookkeeper, you want somebody on a disc assessment that is either a DC or a CD. If you want them to help you build processes, go DC. And if you want them just to follow the processes you've already developed fully, then go CD. And that will make sense to you when you research what a C is and a D is, all right? So I'll leave you guys to do that part on your own, but fascinating article, um, and I'm glad that you surfaced it. So Heather, we are done, we're out of time, and we get to pick up another exciting conversation in exactly one week. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.